This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Well, this is our last sermon in this series called Dirty Words. We've talked about a lot of different things that we often avoid, like sacrifice, authority, sin, holiness. Today, we're going to talk about commitment. And I want uh, to invite you to take your Bibles. If you have that, if you don't have a Bible, listen, we have one for you. You can use it during service and return it, or you can take that Bible and go home and, and take it home as our gift to you. But we're going to, in a few minutes, we'll be at First Timothy chapter 4. So you can go ahead and start finding that. And if um, you use the Bible that I use, If you use the Bible I use, that will be on page 653. First Timothy chapter 4. We'll be there in just a couple of minutes. A friend of mine is trying to lose some weight. He and I both are doing that. We're trying to encourage each other. And he went to the doctor last week. And he did his weigh-in. He was five pounds up. Yikes. So the doctor said, all right, you're going to have to start coming more frequently. You're going to have to come way in more frequently. And, and the, my friend said, hey, Doc, I mean, next week's Thanksgiving. And Doc just said, hey, tough, man, tough luck. Thanksgiving's coming. I don't care. You have to start this eating program now. It made me think of what's going to happen to us in about six weeks. In about six weeks, everybody's going to want to change. New Year's resolutions are going to start. Why not get a head start on everybody else. Because a lot of times we think, well, the holidays, it's our time. You know, it's our time to indulge. And I'm not really talking about the weight issue. That's secondary to the real changes that matter. Changes of the heart, changes of our spiritual focus. A lot of times we'll say, well, I'm going to get around to that later. And I just suggest to you, come on, let's go ahead and start now because you are a people of commitment. And I I want you to realize that, first of all, every single one of you is a person of commitment. We wrongly think, well, only the super disciplined are a certain type of personality is a committed person. I'm a free spirit. I'm one that is not really into commitments. But I'm telling you, every single person is committed to something. I remember when I was really committed every Saturday morning to sleeping in. I mean, I was committed to it. I didn't formally make this commitment. I didn't write it down on paper. I didn't formalize it. But what I did is I made sure that I had certain types of of curtains that would block out the sun, made sure that no light, no earthly light could enter my room, that all my ringers were turned off, that... The air was conditioned at 68 degrees and sleeping late was so important. And a lot of us, we don't realize that we are committed to something in our life. Yesterday, there was over 100,000 people in Knoxville, Tennessee, committed to an orange tea and a stinky dog named Smokey. Now, just to be an equal opportunity critic, there's a bunch of people in Lexington committed to the big blue and putting a leather basketball through a iron hoop, and they're equally as fanatic. Now, Vanderbilt, you don't have people committed because you only fill up half of your stadium, so. 
But the term fan comes from fanatic. And if you have season tickets to the Tennessee Vols, you're committed because you're going to make sure that you have money available to renew those tickets. When the schedule comes out, you're going to block out those days and make sure that nothing is scheduled, no family reunion, nothing that would interfere with you seeing the Vols play. You're going to make sure that you have resources to fill up your tank with gas, that you're going to dedicate the whole day because it takes four hours to get there. The game's four hours. It takes another four hours to get back. Um, you are committed to the Vols. So you could be committed to sleeping late. You could be committed to the Vols or the Wildcats or the handful of you committed to the Commodores. Um, we, we are people of commitment and we don't even realize it. We are making all types of commitments with our choices and those commitments define who we are. And I'm calling you to be people of commitment intentionally. I believe we have a window of opportunity before us, uh, really called life, that we can take our commitments and we can begin to submit them to the Holy Spirit. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter four, and I want us to read our scripture here. 1 Timothy chapter four, starting with verse 14, says, do not neglect the gift that is in you, it was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Now, I underlined it on the screen. You might want to do it in your Bible. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Verse 16. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For by doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Look with me back on verse 15. Practice these things. Be committed to them. In this context, Timothy had received some prophecy. And if you, you don't know what prophecy is, prophecy is when someone speaks something into your life, something good into your life in the New Testament context something positive. So it may go something like this, you know, it may be something like Robert, God has a plan for you. And I just want you to know, Robert, just to be faithful that he knows what your future is and, and he's going to use you in leadership. That's a good thing. And, you know, I think that that's a gift that I operate in frequently. I'll give prophecies to people and, and, so this gives me a chance to pick on that for a second. I have the moral authority to pick on it. Here's the deal. If you've received some kind of prophecy in your life, like God has something great for you, you're not, he has a plan, and you're not doing anything about it, then what's the point? Can I just say about this prophecy spoken over you? If you're not applying yourself and committed to the principles behind the prophecy, who cares? Who cares? Paul wrote his young protege, Timothy, and he said, Timothy, I want you to remember the prophecy spoken over you and be committed to them. I want you to remember the prophecy spoken to you and I want you to be devoted to them. I want you to be a person of commitment. 
And God's calling you and I to be that person. We form commitments. That's the first thing I want us to, the point I want to bring out today. Form your commitments. A lot of us are forming commitments and we don't even realize it. We are giving away huge amounts of our year. Uh, we're just blindly agreeing to do things without any, any introspection, any type of evaluation of what that, how that falls within the things God has called us to do. And so we do that. Two years ago, I coached this little league football team. I was one of the assistant coaches. My son was on the team. First scrimmage, he broke his arm. So, I mean, I know that I would have been a great NFL coach. I understand this. I gave it up for the kingdom. I know this. But, you know, I wasn't necessarily coaching fifth graders, you know, just for the thrill of the chase. It was very much attached to my son being part of the team. And he broke his arm. But I went ahead and coached anyway. And what, what happened is three nights a week and every Saturday, we had games, you know, not just in Hendersonville, but in Lebanon and Mount Juliet. Um, three nights a week, about 10 to 12 hours a week. Th that was a huge part of my life. And, and here's the point I'm trying to make with that. Um, I said, yeah, I'll coach. And I decided to coach. And that became a huge priority for those three months or five, three to five months. A lot of us, we're, we're, we're making these commitments, but we're not evaluating how they're gonna impact our life. So here's my point is, we form commitments, then commitments form us, okay? You decide what you're gonna be committed to, and then those things you're committed to, either intentionally or unintentionally, begin to form your life. So if you, you're committed to sleeping late on Saturday, and you're committed to um, a college sports program, uh, that's gonna shape your life. Now, before you call me a hypocrite on this, I, I do have season tickets to Vanderbilt basketball. And I enjoy going to the games because there's like 19 games. I go to about half of them. So I go to about 10 games a year. I go to those games not because uh, Vanderbilt University's done anything for me. I'm not an alumni and they could care less about anything about me except my money. And I don't really care personally about the players. I've met some of them and they're fine, but they could care less about me. The reason I do that is because that gives me 10 to 12 nights with my sons every year. Okay. So I can put those on the calendar and spend time with them. That's where the priority is. I'm not, I'm not committed to a sports program. Okay. I'm not committed. I, I, I challenge you to not be committed to a TV show. I watch my fair amount of TV. I do. I watch TV. I'm not one of these guys that say, I'm just praying for you 24 hours a day. TV, no, no. And then for the sake of the I watch some TV shows. I like TV. But I don't want to be committed to TV. DVRs and Netflix have helped this cause. But we could be like, I'm so committed to this TV show that I'm going to rearrange my life to see it. Entertainment has its value. And entertainment's not wrong. But when entertainment's forming our life, it's the wrong thing to be committed to. It's there to vacate. A vacation means we vacate what we normally do. And we, we, recreation means we do something that recreates us. So recreation 
recreates us for real life. Recreation is not what we center our life on. It's just a tool. Recreation is just a gift. So recreation is not wrong, but recreation is not what we're committed to. You understand the difference? So I'm not committed to a TV show or a sports team. I'm not committed uh, to my hobby. That's not what's driving me. I might participate in my hobby, but it's not forming my life. Okay, I, I want to form what I'm committed to and let what I'm committed to form me. So I, I don't want to live life either um, just, just waiting for God to do something. I, I want to work on the things God has promised me already. That's why, look one more time at verse 15. I just want this to sink into you. 1 Timothy 4, 15. Practice these things. Don't just sit on the prophecy. Don't just, just say, oh, God has a plan for me. I hope it comes to pass. No, practice these things. Commit to them. And so, brothers and sisters, as we're going into my favorite week of the year, my favorite holiday, I'm here to call you to commitment. I'm here to let you know you're already a person of commitment, so why not commit to the things that's gonna make you a better person or the person God's called you to be? Because here's what's amazing. Do you know that the person God wants you to become in 2016 and 2019 and 2030, 2030, that's a better way to put it, that person, you can actually schedule in to become that person. I mean, you can make choices to become that person. Now, I have an advantage over you guys, and it's a blessing, is I get paid to come to church. So that's pretty cool. I don't have a whole lot of moral authority on that. But my son does, and that's one of my sons there uh, in the black coat there. And my children don't. But do you know that you know, we miss church like three times a year? That's just our lifestyle. Um, But pretty much I have scheduled in my kids to be exposed to biblical teaching twice a week, generally, okay? They're coming to church on Sunday and to most Wednesdays are 242s. And that comes out to about twice a week, the way way our schedule staggers around here. So, So we've already scheduled in and committed to their spiritual growth. It's, it's, an, it's an incredible thing. Commitment is great because when, when, uh, when you're committed to stuff, you already know in advance what's gonna happen because God's gonna bless the things you're committed to. Now, let me just explain this. This is what I want you to do in the next, maybe this week. This would be great. You have some disposable time on Thanksgiving. Get a paper and a piece of pen, a, a, a piece of pen, a piece of paper and a pen or get out your phone or whatever and try to write down what are you committed to What should you be committed to? Because the should of is gonna turn into what you're going to be committed to. Instead of like randomly committing yourself to all this stuff just to be a nice person, why don't you intentionally commit yourself to be a transformed person? You know, sometimes we have to say no to certain things to say yes to what God has for us. And just because we're simply being nice, we're committed to all this stuff that's not God's will for our life. This is the stuff I'm committed to, okay? Right now, this is just my personal life. First of all, to my spiritual development, which is my friendship with God, because I know this, that I'll fail as a pastor if I'm not spending personal time with God. I'll fail as a husband, and I have for not spending personal time with God. I'll be a failure as a father and as a friend if I'm not abiding with God, so I want to develop my personal devotional life. Do you know what the, person, the purpose of devotions are? 
Devotion. They're supposed to make you devoted to God. That's important. To my family, I'm committed to my wife and to my three kids, to my mom. I'm committed to helping them and, and they're a priority to me. I'm committed to CIL. I'm committed to this church for professional reasons, but even if I wasn't working here, church would be at the top of the list because I believe God moves through community. God moves to the church. And there's nothing as significant you'll do with your life than to build a local church. I mean that. I mean that. There's nothing as significant you'll do as to help build a breathing, living, powerful, active church. And and how God works through that. I have academic goals because I'm in the middle of of my doctoral work right now. I'm two years into my four-year goal. So with God's help, pray for me on that. I'll get through that. Committed to my health. These are pretty much in order right now uh, because I'm getting closer to 40. I'm racing to 40. I need to move more and eat less and I'm working on that. I'm committed to Christian community. I'm in a couple of small groups of pastors. And of course, I go to my 242 group or help with the youth 242 all the time. The other day, I was doing a wedding. I called Roger. I said, hey, I've got a wedding. It's at five o'clock. I might not make it back. Can you lock up the church? He said, Pastor, don't worry about it. Just go straight home. I couldn't do it. I couldn't go straight home. Why? Because I'm called to community. I had the pass. Okay, I'm just called to community. I wanted to be here. I couldn't imagine not being here. So that, that's not about... Uh, a professional obligation. That's about a spiritual call to community. So these are the things that are my priorities. And, and I just, I, I challenge you to, to find out what are you really committed to? What are you gonna be committed to? Because you can form who you wanna become and more importantly, who God wants to make you. You're a, you're a person of commitment and we are a people of commitment. That's who God's called us to be. And we have to be. Because nothing great in life is accomplished without commitment. This is, not a, this is not a sermon about institutional advancement. I'm not trying to talk about our development as God's people here in this local context. But I'm talking about your life. I mean, think about marriage. Hey, you're not gonna build a marriage without commitment. It's not gonna happen. You're not gonna build a family without commitment. I mean, we're not gonna have a great church that makes a difference in people's lives without committed people. We're not gonna have great communities and a great educational system without committed people. We won't have great cities without committed people. And our nation will not continue to be great and achieve new levels of greatness without people who are committed. It's a great thing to be committed. It's a gift from God. And you are at your best when you're a committed person and you're committed to the things that really matter to God. So take some time this week. Write down the three to five things you're gonna commit to in your life. And it's incredible. You have, by God's grace, the ability ahead of time to determine who you're gonna be. Under God's leadership and the scripture's guidance, we can determine ahead of time what we're gonna be committed to. And when we form our commitments, our commitments form us. And so we make our commitments. And it's kind of energizing. And it's fun. And and it's the the idea of possibility. You know, I can just even sense the energy in this room as your head is, is, is thinking through this and you're moving from 
from commitments forming you unintentionally to intentionally forming commitments. It's kind of fun, it's energizing, it's empowering. And guess what happens after that? It gets boring. And I, I want to caution you, commitment starts out fun, but then commitment gets very boring. That is just the way life is. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why people don't finish through. There's a reason why people are not committed today. There's lots of reasons why. But commitment is only commitment when it's hard. I mean, commitment is not commitment on the front end. Let's just talk about the marriage issue again. I mean, it is, for the vast majority of people, the wedding day is a delightful day. Everyone's behind you. It is fun. The bride is at her prettiest point maybe ever in the natural eyes. The, the, the friends are there, and nowadays the, the way weddings are you know, so orchestrated and everything, everything's perfect. And that's Saturday night, right? But then there's seven years later on Tuesday morning, that's reality. I, I want you to understand something. Marriage is very, very daily. It happens every day. And I'm not saying marriage is boring because it's not. I'm just, that's right. <laughs> in fact, I was, Pastor Matt is in Atlanta right now. We were at a youth pastor's conference. I came back early and, and I was going over the sermon with him. And, and I see, I don't think Zoe's here because one of the kids are sick or she's working back there. So I'm going over the sermon with him. And I was like, and things get boring. He said, like marriage. And I went, I went, I can't use that in a service, but, but I am now. So then he started correcting himself too. But the reality, the reality is, I mean, I mean and, and I thank God for my marriage. And, and this, is, this is true. I mean, we, we have so much fun together. And marriage is fun. It's a blessing it's a blessing, but I, I will tell you, youngsters, <laughs> that, that it, it is daily, okay? And if you, if you come to church, whatever you come to church, I say most people come to church twice a month, okay? Say you come to church 24 times in a year. I'd love for you to come more, but I say 24 to 35 times a year. Hey, I'm not gonna be on every Sunday. I mean, there, there, there's gonna be some Sundays that maybe... Nah, it's just not hitting you the right way. Uh, there's going to be some Sundays, something could go wrong with the music here. Being part of a church has a boring element to it. You see, you have to fight through the boredom to get the fruit. And we have become wishy-washy people, uncommitted people. I mean, we're, we're like at the carnival of the fair, chasing ride to ride, looking for the next adrenaline high. And God says, I need you to be faithful. I need you to be willing to be bored for the kingdom of God. I need faithful people. I need faithful people who will go through the process I have for you. See, there is a particular reason why God uses drudgery to bring out some of our characteristics. Now, let's look in the scripture at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, page 637. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. 
says, we give no opportunity for stumbling to anyone. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse three. So that the ministry will not be blamed. But as God's minister, we commend ourselves at everything. Now look at this phrase, by great endurance. By great endurance. This is so important because it meant that if Paul says, I need endurance, he probably felt like quitting at times. It goes on and it goes on to describe a myriad of emotions by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the message of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness on the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet recognized, as dying and look, we live, as being disciplined yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriched many, as having nothing yet possessing everything. That describes a whole spectrum of life. And it's true, life is challenging and life is rewarding. Life is hard and sometimes life is easier. Through it all, we endure. Through it all, we endure and we get through. There's a reason why God is concealing his um, direction for the specifics of your life. He has a clear direction his will is very clear. His, clear his, his will is for you to be holy and to be a person of love. But sometimes we don't know where we're supposed to live or what school we're gonna attend or a characteristic with our job. And there's a particular reason why God conceals that. He conceals that among other reasons to build the endurance that we need. Uh, there is a reason our all-powerful God who can do anything he wants at any moment he wants to do it withdraws or withholds or conceals. He does it because he wants us to be people of commitment. Listen, God doesn't want a weak, anemic church. God doesn't want a bunch of vulnerable, wishy-washy people with no stability and no anchor. He wants people of commitment who are intentionally committed. And he wants us to form those commitments around his principles and who he is. There's a man that you may not know his name, but I want you to know his name after today. His name is William Carey. You can see from the dates on the screen, he lived a long time ago, 1761 through 1834. One of the things we appreciate about the Baptist church and all the different branches of Baptist churches is Baptist churches are mission churches. They, they take the gospel all over the world. And we as evangelicals are considered very much in their stream. There was a time when the Baptist church and the evangelical church did not do missions. And this man named William Carey is considered the father of missions. He was poor. He was uneducated. He didn't have the opportunity to get the formal education. A lot of the great scholars and the great spiritual leaders of England did. But growing up in England, he had a knack for languages and he began to learn the languages of the Bible and he began to, to lecture on the need to take the gospel outside of England. And he began to crack the icy hearts of men who, who didn't believe that missions was their concern. 
And he had a phrase that became really popular. Don't put this up yet, but I want you to listen to this phrase. The phrase that influenced a whole generation. It was this, expect great things, attempt great things. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And he did. William Carey went to India. He went there and he translated up to seven languages into the scripture. Of those seven languages, there were over 200 dialects that he helped break the code of and develop the alphabet. And he was the modern father of the missionary movement. William Carey inspired dozens and dozens of missionaries and really his influence is still with us today. I hear him quoted by Dick Brogdon and other missionaries we support on a regular basis. Did amazing things as an uneducated man. Did amazing translation work, which is very, very hard to do. I, I wouldn't know the first thing how to translate a language or an ancient language or a current language. And they asked him, what's the secret of your success? And now I want to share this quote with you. Essentially, that question was, what's the secret of your success? And he said, anything beyond this will be too much. I applaud. That's my only genius. I can persevere in any definite pursuit to this. I owe everything. It's a famous quote. Anything beyond this will be too much. I plod. What a word, huh? When's the last time you've used the word plod? But it's such a descriptive word. Oswald Chamber, if you read my utmost for his highest, he talks a lot about drudgery. Drudgery is the normal everyday tasks that are not exciting, that are not fulfilling, but it's where the kingdom of God is often advanced. When we do the things we're supposed to do, when we're supposed to do them, not fun, not exciting, it's drudgery, but we plod through, in William Carey's words, we plod through, we get through the things we're supposed to do. Listen, guys, if you are going to be the person of commitment God has called you to be, you cannot be ruled by your emotions. Emotions are not a bad thing. In fact, God uses emotions. So please hear me. I'm not saying don't be emotional because being emotional is good. God uses emotions to lift our hearts, to inspire others, to get us uh, with some energy we haven't had before. But emotions, they become our aids. They don't become our motivators. And so it is, we're not people who are led by emotions, we're people who are led by commitments. Commitments drive us. Commitments form us. Commitments lead us. Even when we get bored, we're committed. We're committed to the cause. We're committed to the things God has called us to. John Maxwell taught us so much about leadership in the 90s. I've read most of his books, maybe all of them. He said this, if you do what you should, only when you feel like it, you won't keep your commitments consistently. Simple quote, but it's true. If you do what you should, only when you feel like it, you won't keep your commitments. Guys, we're people of commitment. That's our spiritual heritage. I mean, that's what Paul did. That's what Jesus did, more importantly than Paul. But Paul said, listen, this is what we do. We endure hardship. We endure hardship. And there's joy, and there's sorrow, there's good and there's bad, but we keep plotting. We, we overcome drudgery. We overcome boredom. So this is what I, I want to say to you guys. This is, this is a very important week of the year for me because this is when my year ends. So I'm very reflective this week. Thanksgiving's my finish line. And here it is. Here it is. Guys, as we begin to move forward, commit to what matters. 
Because some of you, I know this, I know this in my heart, I know this by human nature, you're about to let go of something God wants you to hold on to. You're about to let go of something because you're not being patient. And God wants you to finish your commitment. There is a finish line before you. There there is a job to get done. There is a word to keep. There is a promise to fulfill. Keep your commitments because that is the nature of who God has made you. That's who he, he has made you. That's the essence of who you are. And so if you're bored with your life, if you're bored with your commitment, stay faithful anyway, because here's the last thing I'm gonna tell you, and this is great. When you make your commitments and you form them and they start forming you and you overcome the boredom, then you get to lastly experience the fruit. And I'm telling you, it is worth it to be a person of commitment. God uses your commitments. There is a finish line. There is an accomplishment. There's something great God has for you. And and you will experience the fruit of being faithful to the things God has called you to be faithful to. It's worth it, guys. It's so worth it. One of the scriptures that helped me more than any scriptures, Galatians 5, 7 through 9, says this. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from his flesh. Now, here it is. But the one who sows, well, not quite. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Right slide, wrong scripture. Here we go. Here it is now. All right? So, we must not get tired of doing what is good. That's a good word for us today. Sometimes you got to keep doing the right thing long enough for God to make you fruitful the way he wants you to be fruitful. Finish the commitment. And then look what happens. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. I mean, there is a reward for those who finish. There's a reward for the committed. There's a joy for the committed. Commitment does not take from your life. Commitment gives to your life. I, I can't think of anything as important as being a man or woman of commitment. If you're a person of commitment, there's great treasure for you. The Lord wants you to know that. And there's great, great power, I say this, uh, submitted to him to form our lives through the commitments we make today. I love what James 1.12 says too. This is great. A man who endures trial is blessed. Isn't that good? We all want to be blessed. Uh, You know how God says be blessed, be committed. The man who endures trials or commits is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. What's the crown of life, you may ask? I'm not really sure, but it sounds really good to me because God's given it and it's not the crown of death. Uh, The crown of life is evidently a heavenly reward, not attached to salvation, but it's in the heavenly reward and everything we receive in heaven, I believe that we get a foretaste of earth. That's my belief. We don't get in full measure, but we get in partial measure. So the crown of life is for heaven, but the crown of life, we get a taste of it here on earth. It means good things from the Lord. It means good things from the Lord. I'm gonna tell you something. Uh, The best is ahead for you. This is not some kind of cotton candy statement that ignores the scripture to give you a psychological boost as you leave. Because I didn't say you're not gonna have trials, you're not gonna have challenges, and you're not gonna have tears, and you're not gonna have pain. I didn't promise you that. 
because that may come. I don't know. It's going to come for some and not the others. It's going to come some years and not other years. That's just life and that's the Bible. But I do know this is through Jesus, the best is ahead, the best opportunity, the best fruit. God says, be a person of commitment. God says, be a people of commitment. And when you do that, you'll be at the place that he's called you to, a place that is good. It is good for you. It is good for you. Can we pray? Would you just close your eyes for a second and pray? Spirit, we're open to your commitment. We're open to be that, the, the people of commitment you've called us to be. So Spirit, speak to us. I want to give you this moment to let the seed of the word go into good soil right now. Don't let Satan snatch the seed through distraction right now. Don't let Satan snatch the seed or let the cares and worries of life crowd out the seed. The Lord wants this word to fall on good soil. The scripture was clear. I know I gave you some opinion and some of my personality came through, but I believe the spirit is speaking through some of that too. So there's some things God said for you today. And the Lord was saying, let it go on just good soil, just good soil. We just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. It's always fun when it rains here because we get to hear that metal roof and it's always, there's always some good metaphor that we can use. And so isn't it interesting that I'm talking about soil and we just feel the Lord just raining down your ways and your favor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Church of Indian Lake. 